Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 25 of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In podcast. That's right, 25 episodes. Is there supposed to be a, a, a cake or <laughs> some, some thing we do to celebrate? We've made it to 25 episodes of this podcast. Well, I don't know. I think the problem is I just have so much to say, so many memories to share, that it's just going to go on for a long, long time. So, uh, episode 25, let's talk about how movies are made. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about the pacing of these uh, projects. You see, um, depending on what kind of movie you're making, whether it's a feature film or a made-for-TV movie or maybe a episodic TV series like Touched by an Angel or Promised Land, a low-budget feature film, you know, there's all different ways that these things uh, happen. And there's sort of a pacing involved with each of these. A feature film usually runs at the slowest pace of filming. They'll only um, shoot, you know, maybe a couple of scenes a day, uh, maybe three or four pages worth of what's in the script. Um, for a movie of the week, a uh, television uh, made-for-TV movie, uh, they'll go a little bit faster than that, uh, shoot a little bit more per day. Um, for episodic TV series like Touched by an Angel or Promised Land or Everwood, those shows that I worked on, they'll work a little bit faster than that. And then, of course, if you're working on like a soap opera, they just scream through the schedule, working very quickly. So um, a feature film, they may work for several weeks to do uh, a feature film. For a made-for-TV movie, maybe, uh, say, between an 18- and 21-day filming schedule. And then for... Uh, of course, uh, episodic TV series, one-hour episode, usually they'll take about eight days to shoot that. And then soap operas, like I said, just scream through those. All right, so uh, for the film crew, uh, depending on what kind of production you're on, um, you know, they may be a little bit impatient about uh, what's going on. So, for example, if it's a show like Touched by an Angel, the crew knows that they're going to be working... Um, five days a week for about 12 hours a day on average. And uh, they're going to be doing this for, I don't know, maybe nine or 10 months each season. So this is a, this is kind of a grueling schedule and it's a you know, regular job. And, and so you want it to be about as normal as you can make it. So, you know, it's going to be about a 12 hour day every day. If you can keep consistent with that schedule, you'll make the crew happy. So if you're in charge somehow, you're a producer, you're an assistant director, you're somehow involved in uh, maintaining uh, a consistent schedule, you will make the crew happy. Also, if you can somehow make it so that you normally start the work day at the same time every day, uh, that would also make the crew very happy. That's sometimes very difficult to maintain on these kind of shows because especially if you have uh, uh, night exterior scenes and there's just no way to get around the fact that you have to shoot them outside at night, then that means you're going to have some a few late schedules. You can't have it uh, just be a, a consistent, let's all show up at the same time every morning to work. Um, but occasionally you'll get uh, a director who just tends to work a little more slowly than your average director. And um, this happens <laughs> sometimes because the director is maybe more accustomed to making movies of the week 
or feature films. He's not used to the uh, the brisk pace of episodic TV. Got to get it all done within seven days of shooting. And um, when a director works slowly, the only thing you can do is just uh, go into overtime and delay the start of the workday the following day. And but they usually there's no provision for let's just shoot a whole extra day's worth of uh, of filming in order to uh, complete the episode. No, uh, they usually just just push the crew a little bit harder, work extra hours every day, and maybe uh, make it up on the weekend somehow. They'll be able to turn the schedule back around to more of a normal schedule uh, with a couple of days off. But it is the easiest way to have the the crew turn against the director is to have a director that works slowly. Now, what do I mean by that, working slowly? Well, um, usually we'll, we'll blame the director because on a show uh, like Touch by an Angel, for example, you have di- different directors coming and going. Maybe one director will come and uh, direct two or three episodes in a given season, but you'll have, uh, you know, maybe 10 or 12 different directors each season coming and going in order to direct all the episodes for the season. And um, you'll have different guest stars coming and going as well. But for the most part, you know, the vast majority of the crew is the same people. Same cinematographer, same grip, same electrician, same hair and makeup people, same basic core cast of the show. And so if for some odd reason a an episode is, the pacing is going a little slowly and... Uh, Well, who are you going to blame? You're not going to blame the people that have done this all the time and seem to be consistent about it. You're going to blame whoever is, uh, you know, your, your, your wild card here, the guy who wasn't here last week, this director. He must be the one that's slow. And there's not an open rebellion going on. It's just the fact that the crew tends to be annoyed. So there can be a bit of a history when, when you've worked with a director and um, you remember that that episode went kind of slowly or you just didn't really enjoy working on that episode. And then a few months later, they say, OK, the next episode coming up is going to be directed by this same director that we worked with. And everyone kind of goes, oh, no, not that guy. Oh, I didn't like working with that guy. Oh, that's not right. And so this can happen. It's usually not, like I said, open rebellion. <laughs> People don't talk too openly about this. But, um, you know, it's just a, a matter of annoyance. It's kind of like. Um, if you had your least favorite substitute teacher when you were in school and every time you'd see that teacher show up again, you'd kind of go, oh, no, I don't like that. Um, so what can I say? Part of it is that the people who work on movie crews are a little bit uh, melodramatic anyway. And so they, they go, oh, no, what am I going to do? This director will make us stay an hour later. But those those hour later things, they add up, you know, and after you've spent an hour, extra hour a day for a whole episode, you know, it starts to get on your nerves. Oh, yeah, sure, you're going to get a little bit of overtime, but that's just going to get taxed away. And you've got this job for nine or ten months anyway. You're really not interested in, you know, an extra $25 or whatever it's going to be <laughs> just so you... You know, so you can please this director. I mean, you've got a family, you've got a life, and you'd like to go home. So I mentioned that only because uh, we did run into that on the Promised Land show. And as I'm talking about my memoirs of working as a movie stand, and um, I am now talking about the early part of 1997 when um, 
When we were working on Promised Land and, uh, you know, occasionally we did get a director that the crew generally just felt like, oh, we didn't really enjoy working with that guy. Now, uh, I mention that only because, um, well, there's going to be an example of that. Uh, Maybe I made a mistake by mentioning it on this podcast episode because what I'd really like to talk about on this podcast episode is our experience working on an episode called Downsized. And for this one, actually, we had a director that we really did enjoy working with, the name Michael Schultz. Yeah, we loved working with Michael Schultz. Uh, it was the director we worked with um, on episode 119 that was kind of slow, kind of slow, but not a bad guy. Well, anyway, uh, okay, let's focus on... Uh, episode 117 of the Promised Land show. Now, uh, in the in the schedule, when we were making these episodes, we had a little bit of trouble with, um, uh, well, trying to create episodes that would coincide well with the broadcast schedule. Now, occasionally, depending on what kind of TV show you're working on, um, you can film episodes in a specific order, and then they might be broadcast in a different order. And so if you're a real, you know, hardcore fan of like Star Trek or something like that, you may be aware that this happened in the history of Star Trek. And it's happened in a lot of other shows. Um, If your storyline tends to go in chronological order, there may be um, things that were established in one episode that are required that that episode be played um, before a certain other episode or after a certain other episode in order for the story to make sense to the viewer. Um, but if if uh, the storyline is written in a certain way, then maybe it just doesn't matter how the, the, the episode broadcast order goes. Um, and so when that is the case, when it doesn't matter what episode order you have for broadcast then the powers that be, either the producers of the show or the people at the network or whatever, can decide, well, let's air the episodes in this order, which might be better for ratings. And uh, one thing that they're always concerned with uh, with ratings is there are certain uh, what are called sweeps periods. And uh, these generally happen in, um, in November, in February, and in May. And um, the sweeps periods are the times when your favorite shows, uh, they broadcast their most appealing episodes, or they have special guest stars, or they have just certain story elements going on that they figure are going to be more appealing to the viewer. They're going to get higher ratings. And the reason they're concerned with higher ratings during the sweeps period is that that's when they set their advertising rates based on the the ratings that the show received during the sweeps period. So, in uh, the beginning part of 1997, uh, Touch by an Angel and Promised Land were gearing up for the sweeps rating period in February. And one specific week in February was going to be very important. They were building up to a two-part crossover episode with uh, characters from Touch by an Angel and Promised Land uh, sharing screen time together. And so this crossover episode uh, was set in stone. It had to be aired on these specific nights, a Sunday night for part one, a Tuesday night for part two, and that was it. They picked their very specific nights when this was going to happen. 
Um, so they had on the Promised Land show, they were kind of building up to this as far as the storyline went. And it wasn't too complicated. But what they did is we had the Mine Collapse episode, episode 116. And in that episode, there was a bit of a conflict between Russell Green and his teenage son, Josh, because Josh wanted to go spend time with a cousin who was a demolition derby racer. And Russell said, I'm not going to let you do that. That's stupid. And by the end of that episode, uh, Russell relented and said, okay, Josh, you can go and you can spend time with your cousin. So in the very next episode, episode 117, uh, Josh wasn't in the episode at all because he was supposed to be off spending time with his cousin. In reality, the actor, Austin O'Brien, was not involved in that episode of Promised Land because he was already working on his part of the crossover episode with Touched by an Angel. Okay? And so the crossover episode happens, and at the end of that episode, Josh is suffering from temporary blindness following being a victim of a drive-by shooting in Denver. And then in the following episode of Promised Land, uh, number 119, uh, Josh is going to uh, be suffering from some of the ill effects of his temporary blindness condition. So this was all laid out very clever the way that the writers and producers had this all set up so that it would work out. But then something happened. O.J. Simpson goofed us up. O.J. Simpson? Yeah. So let me give you a little history on uh, on the 1990s. <laughs> O.J. Simpson, who had been a, a star football player in uh, college and professional uh, football, he was accused of murdering his ex-wife and a friend of hers. And so it was called the uh, the trial of the century, and um, and it was a long, drawn-out process, the murder trial. And at the end of that, O.J. Simpson was found not guilty of murder. Well, the families of the victims were very, very upset about this, and so they had little recourse, but they did have one thing they could do still pursuing a legal case against O.J. Simpson. They sued him in civil court. So even though he was not criminally responsible for the murders of these people, they felt like they could sue him for financial damages if they could find a jury that would find him financially responsible for the murders. And so um, so that's what happened. There, so after this big trial of the century, the murder trial, then there was this O.J. Simpson civil case. And um, that trial didn't last as long. The burden of proof was, uh, was not as uh, strict as the burden of proof in a, in a murder trial. Uh, criminal proceeding. And so, uh, in the end, okay, the uh, the jury reached a verdict in the civil case. And uh, they reached the verdict, I believe it was on a Tuesday, and it was the day that uh, this episode 117 of Promised Land was supposed to be broadcast. Uh, so, but the jury reached the verdict, and um, as a result of that, Dan Rather from CBS News decided he wanted to talk about that verdict in prime time. So Dan Rather on there with maybe some uh, legal analysts and whatever, and they spent an hour in prime time on a Tuesday night talking about the O.J. Simpson civil case verdict. Because they did this, the regular, regularly scheduled episode of Promised Land, episode 117, where Josh was going to be off with his cousin and not appear in the episode, well, that episode was not broadcast. 
So, because that episode was not broadcast, uh, well, what are they going to do? Are they just going to uh, air it the following week? No, they can't air it the following week because they've already decided that the following week was when they were going to air the crossover episode. So you're thinking, well, why don't they just delay the crossover episode? Uh, well, they couldn't do that because it was already very heavily promoted. There was stuff on TV Guide. There was a little feature story ready for uh, Entertainment Tonight. And because of the ratings sweeps period scheduling, uh, they just they, they, there was no way they could uh, uh, delay that crossover episode. So they played the crossover episode anyway, and now they're stuck with an episode of Promised Land, which doesn't fit... Uh, the storyline anymore. Uh, you can't just say that, oh, Josh is off spending time with his cousin, the Demolition Derby uh, driver, and ignore the fact that, well, what about the fact that Josh is is blind? <laughs> Why is he off with his cousin enjoying Demolition Derby if he's blind? So, what they did is they decided to go ahead and shoot uh, two or three new scenes that they could insert into episode 117. And now rather than having Josh be off camera spending time with his cousin, Josh is going to be at some sort of care center where he's going to learn to live with his uh, visual impairment. And so this is what they did. And it's a little bit of a testament to uh, not only the the cleverness of the writers that they could come up with um, two or three scenes they could insert into an episode and then also delete other scenes so that the timing is still the same. Uh, but it also maybe uh, is is a bit of a testament to uh, just the uh, disposable nature of various scenes in these stories. <laughs> in order to add two or three scenes of Josh at this uh, care center learning how to deal with his blindness, um, they had to cut something out. And the fact that uh, you don't miss those scenes at all once they've been cut out maybe says, well, maybe you know, maybe they were lousy scenes. Maybe the, maybe the <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 just kind of a, a messy thing. So, uh, so that's what happened. We uh, inserted these other scenes into the downsized episode one seventeen of Promised Land. Now, the whole storyline of the episode itself is that, um, well, at first it was just uh, Russell and the family minus Josh decided to go visit an old friend that Russell knew uh, back in their old home, and maybe they worked together at the factory. Now, with the reworked episode, with the blindness thing added into it, uh, they've gone to this town so that Josh can go to a really good care center for the blind, and they just happen to have other friends in town. The whole point of the episode is that Russell has gotten together with his old friend, played by Stacy Keach, and they're just old buddies, and they both enjoy the outdoors and hunting and stuff like that. And they used to work at the furniture factory together. And um, and so they, they stop in this town. And, and Russell uh, finds out that the, the furniture factory in this town is hiring. Maybe Russell can get a job. Maybe the family can stop their road trip and settle down and buy a house and, um, you know, enjoy uh, the good life. Uh, and he can, he can work, uh, work in a factory again like, like he used to. And well, <laughs> uh, the the only problem with that in the in the storyline is that uh, Russell goes in for a job interview and he's terribly, wonderfully qualified for this job. Everything looks good, but then the boss of the company takes the resource manager aside and says, "We don't want to hire this guy. He's getting a little old, don't you think?" 
And so the major uh, social issue covered in this episode is age discrimination and uh, also just the general concept of uh, American companies downsizing uh, and uh, maybe hiring inexperienced laborers just to save a few dollars rather than having some loyalty towards their uh, their trusted longtime workers. You know, there are, there are some companies, and I guess, you know, this may be well documented, that would uh, fire a guy just a few months before he was uh, going to have retirement. So that's uh, one way they get out of paying uh, all the retirement benefits because the guy was uh, fired or downsized right before he would have been up for retirement. So this is what the episode is all about. And uh, apart from that, I, I don't know what to say. There's There's not a lot of really, you know innovative and spectacular stuff in the episode. It's just a, a you know nice, pleasant episode about an important social issue. Uh, there is one moment in the episode where uh, uh, Russell's friend's wife, in a fit of frustration, uh, she's, she's not sure, you know, how they're going to survive financially since, since Russell's friend has lost the job. And the wife says, uh, in, a, in a little fit of frustration to Claire, I don't want to end up living in some trailer. You know, which, of course, is uh, Claire could take that very personally. But, uh, of course, she's a very understanding woman and realizes that that came from frustration and not from any uh, tangible idea that Russell and his family are so-called trailer trash. <laughs> so, I don't know. Hey, you know, I am in this episode, by the way. There's, uh, there's a scene where Russell, he's having his job interview, and when he leaves, and he's all exuberant because he knows that he just did a great job with the interview, and he thinks he's a shoe-in to get this job. He walks out, and there are a couple guys sitting uh, outside the office where he has been interviewed, and, uh, you know, other job applicants looking somewhat nervous. And one of them is me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just said, "Here, hold this briefcase and look nervous." And I and I did. I looked nervous, but I I, I don't like the way I look in the episode. I think it's kind of uh, overacting or whatever. What can I say? Not pleased with my own performance. But there I am, one of the uh, job applicants just sitting out there. So I get my little cameo appearance, and um, I don't even think they, you know, gave me any extra money for just being there. But it was fun to be on the show. I don't mind that. Uh, a couple other notes about this. They used a um, they used a, a bar called Duffy's Tavern, which is in downtown Salt Lake. So there's a scene where uh, Russell's friend gets fired and he goes to the bar to kind of drink his troubles away. And, and, and they're using this place called Duffy's Tavern, which in real life uh, is located just about a block away from where the Touch by an Angel uh, Salt Lake City headquarters was located. There's, they had sort of a main production office where all of their... Salt Lake City-based producers and office staff worked. And so, yeah, just about a block away from there was this place called Duffy's Tavern, which is uh, which was used in a lot of movies and TV shows, including Touched by an Angel over the years, partly because, um, well, they, they knew the drill. They knew how to get along with uh, film crews. And, um, and because of their close proximity to the Touched by an Angel main office, it made it very easy to go uh, work over there if you needed a, a bar for a scene. About the only other thing I want to mention about this episode was they did have a fun shot uh, where they put the steady cam in low mode 
and used it on top of a big conference room table. There's a confrontation between this uh, furniture company executive and his lawyers versus Russell and Russell's friend and a uh, young lawyer from the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And so um, they're they're sitting uh, at opposite ends of this big, long conference table in some sort of high-rise building. And so it was kind of fun. They They had... Um, some shots in there where they had the Steadicam operator with his Steadicam in in what's called low mode. So the Steadicam is down low, down, you know, about knee high, rather than normally a Steadicam in regular mode would be up around shoulder height. But in this case, it was down around knee height. And uh, the camera operator walked back and forth uh, across this conference room table as the cameras just sort of uh, you know, almost dollies inward toward a character. And so that was kind of fun to to see them stage that and have the camera operator walking on a table. And it's also kind of fun the way it showed, it, it, it turns out in the, uh, in the final version of the show. Oh, one other thing I should mention. The episode ends with a group of senior citizens protesting against this uh, furniture factory that's uh, being accused of age discrimination. And so um, the clever part about that is that uh, Hattie, the grandmother, has gone on the Internet to uh, help organize this protest, which surprises everyone. How did Hattie know enough about the Internet? And how did any of these other senior citizens know enough about the Internet to get involved in this protest? Um, and, but and that was, I think, one of the scenes that was cut when they had a little bit more detail about how that came together. But. All right, so you got people protesting, and they've got these homemade signs, just wooden stakes with just poster board and these uh, homemade signs, people saying, you know, down with age discrimination or whatever it was. As they were marching around with these signs, one of the electricians uh, went to the props truck and and, uh, managed to borrow some of the same uh, poster board and uh, wooden stakes that had been used to create these protest signs, and the electrician made up his own sign, and the sign said, no sixth day without real pay. <laughs> so it was just kind of a, f- a fun little jab at the, uh, what had happened to us on the Promised Land uh, series just a, you know, a month or two earlier when we were working six-day weeks in order to uh, squeeze in a bunch of work before our Christmas break. So just uh, as, as a fun little thing, one of the electricians had this sign, and I'm not sure that the sign... Uh, ever appeared on camera, but it was fun for the crew to see uh, one of the electricians having a little bit of fun with the uh, uh, protesting against our uh, our six-day schedule, which we already weren't doing anymore. Okay, so that's about all I uh, have to say about episode 117 of the Promised Land show. Uh, in the next episode of this podcast, I'm going to talk about going to St. George, Utah. See, now this is something that they had talked about for a while. And, well, I'll I'll talk about it on the next podcast. So uh, I'll see you then. Uh, Remember, new episodes of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In podcast come out on Thursday nights at 8, 7 central. You can find the show notes for this podcast at this place. Uh, It's it's utahstandin.blogspot.com. That's utahstandin.blogspot.com. And then my email address, if you want to send me any uh, friendly notes, is moviestandin at gmail.com. Moviestandin at gmail.com. See you next week.